it's an honor to be able to be here today and to share in this service with you. And uh, our uh, Western Ontario District team is available to help during this transition. And Scott Doggart, our regional director, is uh, made himself available to uh, assist the uh, lead team and uh, pastoral staff and the uh, board and elders of the church during this uh, time of transition period. And we know that God has a real purpose and plan for the future of this church. And we thank God for the uh, tremendous lay leadership in this church. I was amazed this week as I was getting documentation sent to me about today. And everything was so organized and well-planned. And they were so thorough and caring about the fact that I had all the information I needed. And uh, so I just really appreciate you as a church right now. And God is using the lay people in our churches in this day in a greater way now than ever before. We can learn a lot of things from having gone through this COVID crisis. And one of the things you're seeing emerge is strong ministry amongst every Christian believer within our church families. And it's incredible. We also are learning that the church is not the building. We're learning that the church is the people. Because when you can't congregate together for a certain season of time in your building, if the church is your building, you don't have a church. But we praise God that the church is strong this morning and continues on. Whether we can all meet together or not, we're meeting together both here in person and online today because we are the church. Amen? And so we thank God for that. I, I wanted to share something with you from the Word of God today. And I'm reading from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 21. It's a statement that was made by Paul in the midst of a real crisis. And uh, I share this today because I think Paul has some words to share and words to give direction to a crisis that may be a very difficult moment, no matter whether it is the COVID crisis for us personally or our church or a personal crisis that we're going through in life. Paul is uh, stating something very profound, I believe, about a crisis. It's in verse 12, Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my crisis, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and uh, rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The most important thing in every way, whether from false motives or not, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. 
For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that in no way will I be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you look through that portion of Scripture, you do not find Paul emphasizing the question, why? But you find Paul emphasizing the question, what? Because why is a very difficult, difficult question. And for many of us, even in our own personal crisis, it is very hard sometimes to know why. And some people are stalled in their life at the question, why? Why would God let something happen? Why would God allow certain things to take place? My daughter-in-law asked a very difficult request of me uh, a few years ago. She asked if I would do the funeral of a friend of hers who had lost their little baby at seven days um, old. And uh, they were not believers, they were not believers, not a Christian family, nor many of the relatives were not believers, but my daughter-in-law was good friends with this young lady, and her and her husband had given birth to a beautiful baby girl, but the baby girl had died seven days later. When I came to do the funeral that day, most of the room was filled with unbelievers, people who really didn't have a faith in Christ. And I could sense even before the funeral, the comments that were being made and statements that were being given to me, that everyone in the place basically had the same question. And the question was, why would a God of love allow this kind of thing to happen? And I could sense even that they were thinking that I had some kind of an answer that day. When I stood to speak in the funeral service, I recognized that a whole group of people were sitting out there wondering what I was going to say about a God who would let this happen. I had to be honest that day, and I told the people that were there that I don't know why. I don't know why a God of love would let a little seven-year-old die. I don't know. And I may never know. And, and someday when I get to heaven, I'll ask God questions like that. I'll ask Jesus things like that, and I'm sure there'll be a simple answer, and, 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 and then I'll understand. But right now... I can't answer the question why. But I shared that day that that's not the question that I need to ask. I need to ask, what is God saying to me? What is God doing in my life? And I encouraged people that day that if they didn't know the Lord, they have no answers. But if you know Jesus, then you know that he is with you. He walks with you. He communes with you. He brings you through the fire and trouble. And because of that, I depend on Jesus because he can see me through. Gospel is not about come to Jesus and everything's going to be wonderful. 
how many know that there's always some problems even after you come to Jesus? Some evangelists will say, come to Jesus and you'll never have another problem. That's just not true. Some people come to Jesus and have more problems. Some people come to Jesus and when they tell their family, they lose their family, they're kicked out of the home. When we come to Jesus, it doesn't mean we won't have problems. But when we come to Jesus, we know one thing is true. We will never again ever face our problems alone, and he will always go with us. That's the gospel. The gospel is I never have to do this by myself again. But Jesus is with me. Why does God allow bad things to happen there are people who are consumed by the question, why? And they never get over it. They never answer that question. They become bitter and angry at God. They become disillusioned. And they never seem to be able to get a handle on the crisis. But Paul didn't ask why. Paul was facing a great crisis. I mean, a crisis of major magnitude in this portion of Scripture. Paul had been in prison. Paul knew that he was probably facing execution. These are the final days of Paul's ministry and life. He gave his life for the gospel. He preached with everything that was in him to share with, with many the gospel message. He gave his life for the Lord, and yet now he's in prison. Now he is in a place that he didn't deserve to be. He was facing execution. He was facing imprisonment. He was in his older age uh, a bracket of, of life. And, and, and did he really deserve this at this point after all that he had done? So Paul could have easily asked why. He could have easily been consumed by why. Why would a God of love let this happen to me when I've given my life for the gospel? And yet Paul never once talks about why. In Philippians 1.12, he says, what has happened to me? What has happened to me? Paul does not ask why, but he asks what. If you read through the verses of scripture that I read for you, verse 12 to 17, Paul asks the question, what good things are happening? What good things are taking place? Well, he said, while I'm in prison, people are coming out of their shell and beginning to preach the gospel. While I'm in prison, others are stepping up. Good people are stepping up to lead the way, and it opens a door for them. He said, even while I'm in prison, some of those are preaching out of contention or or are preaching because they know I'm in prison, so now they have their chance. But even that, praise God, he says, the gospel is going forward. Paul is not asking why. Why did this happen to me? He's saying what good things are happening. He's asking himself what things are taking place that I can share as good in the midst of the crisis. This COVID crisis is not an easy thing to deal with. But some good things are coming out of this crisis. How many know that we're starting to really care about each other more than we ever have before? 
We're calling people in our church families. We're reaching out to them, making sure their needs are met. We're communicating with people. Online ministry has begun, folks, and it'll never be uh, 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 negligent again. In fact, it's the most amazing thing sometimes. Uh, a young man I hadn't seen for 30 years was watching an online telecast of a church many, many, many miles away from where he lived. And he saw it promoted that I was going to be preaching the next week. He sent an uh, email to the pastor and said, I watch your services online, and I see you're having Lori Gibbons come and speak in another week. Is that the Lori Gibbons that used to pastor in Brantford? And the pastor sent him back an email and said, yes. He said, well, I haven't seen him in 30 years. Could you ask him to call me? So he watched me online preach, and I called him on the telephone. I hadn't talked to him for 30 years. He lived many, many miles away from where the church was. He just watched it online. And as I talked to him, he got himself in all kinds of difficulties in his lifetime. And I said, would you like to know the Lord is your Savior? And right on the telephone, I prayed with him, and he received Jesus as a Savior. All because he's watching a church service online. Craziest stuff. But God is opening the door for many things in the midst of a crisis. One of the things that I've been privileged to do as district superintendent of the Western Ontario District is to be able to reach out to many of our global missionaries over the last 12 years that I've served in this office. Part of my responsibility is not just to care for the pastors and churches in this area of of Ontario, but to take care of connecting and, and caring for all our global workers. And you saw some of them today on that video. Some of our global workers all around the world. Part of my responsibility is to travel there occasionally throughout a year. So usually about once a year we make a missions trip, go visit our global workers. Debbie and I were in Malaysia a couple of years ago. And we went there to visit, of course, with all of our global workers in that whole area of the world. But one thing that was happening during our visiting time there was World Pentecostal Conference was taking place. That's when all the Pentecostal denominations around the world send their leaders to a great conference, a world conference of Pentecostals. We were in Malaysia. We were in Kuala Lumpur. And there we had a gathering of over 8,000 people. But it was interesting where we gathered. There was a little church in Malaysia called the Calvary Church. And numbers of years ago, they began to have a passion about being able to purchase property and build a church. But you see, it's illegal to build a church in Malaysia. It's a Muslim country, and it is not even legal for a church to own property. So how could a Calvary church ever build a building in a country where it's illegal to even be able to own property as a church? Even renting property in Malaysia is a sensitive issue, and you gotta jump through a lot of hoops just to rent a facility. But here we were in a gathering of 8,000 in an amazing facility. Well, the Calvary Church had realized 
that they were in a crisis and they could not buy a building, but they began to pray and ask the Lord how he could help them. They began to talk to business owners in Kuala Lumpur. They began to talk to other organizations in Kuala Lumpur. They began to build relationships with Muslim leaders and business owners and civic leaders and, and, uh, and um, government officials to the point where they put together eventually a plan, a plan to be able to build a great facility. And together with so many people in that community, in agreement, the Calvary Church began to make their plan. And they built an 8,000-seat auditorium, and they called it the Calvary Convention Center. And the government officials agreed as that became something they all shared together. And I was there the day when the president of Malaysia cut the ribbon to the Calvary Convention Center. I'm here to tell you it may be a crisis, but Jesus will find a way. Jesus will help us find a way if we concentrate our minds not on why did this happen. But what are the good things that I can find in the midst of the problem. Paul talks in, in verse 18. And he says, in what can we rejoice? He says, I will rejoice. But what does it matter, he said. What does it matter? I will rejoice. Many, many years ago, I heard a country gospel song. And I never forgot the words of it. And I'll read them to you today because it may spark something in your heart as it has mine. It said this, if today seems as if a million years, and tonight your pillow's wet from your tears, and the load of guilt lies heavy on your brow, fall on your knees and praise God anyhow. I praise God for his love. I praise God for my life. I praise God for the son who died for me. I praise God for the bad times. Because without them, I'd never appreciate the good times. I praise God. I praise God anyhow. And in the midst of a crisis, I've watched people become consumed with the question, why? Why would this happen to me? Why would God allow this? Why is this thing taking place? Why, why, why? They never get an answer. They live in bitterness and anger because that question continues to consume them. I'm here to tell you Paul didn't spend five minutes talking about why. He said what? What good things are coming out of this? What can I rejoice in? And I know how difficult it can be in the midst of a problem. But we need to lift our voices and we need to praise God and rejoice in what God is doing in our life. Rejoice at what we do have. Rejoice at what God has given us. Rejoice in what we do possess. And rejoice in the fact that we can always go to the Lord in prayer and believe him for a miracle. 
How many know God still does miracles? Amen? Many times we forget in the midst of the crisis that God can bring us through. Use what you have. Rejoice in what you do have. Use whatever you have at your disposal to be able to rejoice and serve the Lord. I remember a, a young couple in B.C., Kenneth and Val, who were fairly well off and uh, had no children, but they were fairly well off as a, fa as a couple. And one m morning they went to church just like this. And on the way to church, they, they said to themselves, you know, it might be a good idea today to just look around the auditorium and see if we can see somebody that looks a little discouraged or maybe somebody that looks a little down and out. And maybe we could just take them for lunch. They had lots of resources. They were a pretty wealthy couple. And, and so they thought, you know, let's do that today. Well, they got to church, and they looked around, and sure enough, they saw a young man there. In fact, he kind of looked homeless. He looked like he really could use a friend. He looked pretty broken and, and hurting. So they went to him after the service and said, you know, we, we would just like to introduce ourselves. We're Ken and Val, and, and, and we'd like to take you for lunch. Would you like to go for lunch? Oh, he said, I'd love to go for lunch. They took him for lunch and shared with him at lunchtime and he told them about his story and how that he was homeless and, and had no place to work, no place to live. And Ken was a fairly influential guy in B.C. there in Vancouver. He, he made a couple of phone calls on his cell, and uh, he actually got a place for uh, the young man to stay. And, and he even lined up a, a job interview for the young man for the next day. And, and, and he said, you know, keep in touch with me. We're going to help you out. Well, it worked out pretty good for that, that Sunday. The next week. Ken and Val were coming back to church. And they said, you know, we had such a good time with that young man and helped them out and felt good about what we could do, what, what we could offer. Let's do it again for somebody else. But when they got there that Sunday and they, they were ready to come into the church, the young man was there with five friends. And he said to Ken and Val, can you take us for lunch today? I told my buddies all about you. So Ken and Val took them for lunch that day. And it's a long story. But ever since that time, Ken and Val began <laughs> to meet every Sunday with people. To the point where now they're lay people in that church, but they pastor a congregation every Sunday. While the congregation's meeting, they have about five or 600 people that they minister to every Sunday who are homeless and hurting and broken. And they actually have a church. Amen. Because they took what they had and used it for the Lord. They took what they had and made the best of it. And Paul says that. He said, I'm in prison. I could easily be in discouragement and, 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 and doubt and fear, but, but the gospel's going forward, and, and I, I choose to rejoice, he said. And finally, Paul talks about whatever happens will turn out for your good. <laughs> he says, whatever has happened to me will turn out for my good. It takes faith. It takes trust to believe that. But I am here to remind you today 
that no matter what you're going through and no matter what you're facing, do not continue to be consumed with the question why, but ask yourself what good things are happening. Ask yourself what can I rejoice in and remind yourself that whatever happens to you, God has it all in control and it will turn out. It will turn out. You're going to have to give it a little time. You're going to have to give it a little time, but it will turn out. That's what verse 19 says. If you read in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, 18 to 30, is the story of the early church. And after Stephen was martyred for his faith, then great persecution came upon the church. Great persecution came almost immediately after Stephen was martyred, the Bible says. And the church was scattered all over the known world. People who knew Jesus ran in fear and terror for their lives. They weren't given any opportunity. They weren't given any notice. It wasn't like they were given uh, uh, an opportunity to prepare. Uh, they ran for their lives. They scattered all over the known world running with whatever they could grab and, and hoping to survive the onslaught of persecution. It looked like the end of the church. It looked like it was the final moment for the church. But the Bible tells us that they scattered. They scattered all over the known world. They scattered to Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. But if you look at the church during that period of time, just take Antioch. The greatest church in history at that time and, and, and perhaps in history was the church in Antioch. It was the first church to ever pen the word Christian. And the word Christian came out of that Antioch church. That is where Paul was converted and discipled by Barnabas. That was where the first mission teams were sent out. That was where the, the, the first real flagship church of the early church was established. And outreach and evangelism went from Antioch all over the known world, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. What the devil tried to do to destroy the church, it was like God just put fire and gasoline upon it, and it spread like wildfire. And though the devil wanted to persecute the church, the church went forward with the gospel and amazing things happen. It's incredible what happened during that time. There's a tremendous sense that God wants us to understand that if we hang in with him, great things will happen and God will be with us. And we can believe that God has it under control and great things will come out of it. I remember watching a testimony of a young girl by the name of Kelly. Well, she's not that young anymore. But you may remember, if you're old like me, Life Magazine. And during the late 60s, Life Magazine put Kelly's picture on the front page because she was a little orphan girl on the streets of Saigon during the Vietnam War. And she was naked running down the street crying and screaming. And her picture was on Life magazine. You see, Kelly was a little orphan girl on the streets of Saigon 
And then during a tremendous uh, plan put together to rescue orphans during that time, during the Vietnam War, she became a uh, little orphan taken by what was called Operation Baby Lift. And they came into Vietnam and rescued as many orphans as possible to bring them to the United States of America. And she had her picture on Life magazine. She was flown from Vietnam to the States, but as they were flying her on that plane with many of the other orphans, that plane actually came down and many were killed in a plane crash, but she survived. They took her, Kelly, from uh, that plane rack to hospital and then eventually got her to the United States and she was adopted by a fine couple who cared for her until she was 11 years old and then she had leukemia. She almost died with leukemia and had many, many years of treatment and eventually became a strong young lady and lived to tell her story. And as you listen to her testimony, never once did she seem to complain about anything that had happened to her, but she had trusted that God would be with her. She had had a family adopter who told her about the love of Jesus, and even through her journey, she sees the hand of God. And now, as a middle-aged person, she testifies of how God is able to take you from the worst situations in life and bring you into success if you trust Him, if you believe Him, because it will work out. It will work out. So my message today is not why, but what. What is God saying? What is God doing? What has God promised? What are the good things you can rejoice in? What are the things that are a blessing in your life? Think on that. Center in on that. And understand that God is not finished with you yet. Romans 8, 26 to 28 says this. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through our wordless groans. And we know that in all things, God works for the good for them who love him. And are called according to his purpose. Did you hear that? God works for the good. For those who love him. And are called according to his purpose. There's an amazing story. And I close with this. About family called Haven. Bill Haven. In 1924. Was headed to the Olympics the Summer Olympics, which would take place in Paris in 1924. He was a canoeist. He'd been trained in canoeing, and he'd loved the rapids all his life. And in his early 20s, he had the opportunity to represent the United States of America in the Paris Olympic Games in 1924. But just prior to heading off to the Olympics, his wife was pregnant with their first child and complications came in the midst of her pregnancy. 
And now Belhaven had a very difficult choice to make. He had lived all his life to go to the Olympics. He had the greatest opportunity to go and use his talents and do what he loved to do, but his wife was uh, pregnant with their, their first baby and needed him there, and there was a big decision to make. So even though Bill felt terrible about the decision, he still felt that his wife was the priority, and he made the decision not to go to the Olympics, to stay at home and be with his wife while she gave birth to a wonderful baby boy by the name of Frank. He kind of wondered if his dream was over, and he kind of wondered if he missed this opportunity. Often wondered what he would have done. He was really, uh, really a shoe-in, probably, to win a gold medal at the Olympics, but never got the opportunity. 24 years later, after he had given his abilities and talents to his son, Frank, and taught him everything he knew about the Rapids, his son, Frank, went to be a representative of the United States of America in the Olympics in Helsinki, Finland in 1948. 24 years later, after he competed, Frank sent a wire back to his dad, Bill, and said, Dad, I just want you to know that even though you never got to come and compete, today we won a gold medal the United States of America. And Bill's dream was realized 24 years later through his son, Frank. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I know that Jesus holds the future. My heart goes out to people that face terrible crises and difficulties. And, and they ask me why. I don't know why. I don't know why. I may never know why until we stand in eternity someday and ask the question why. But right now, why will kill you? Why, why will, will stall you in your, in, your, in, your, in your progress as a Christian? Why has caused many people to be bitter? Why has caused many people to stop believing in God? Why has made many people stop coming to church, stop fellowshipping with people? Because of why. But I'm here to tell you, you'll never answer that question. But what? What is God saying to you this morning? What is God doing in your life? What can you rejoice in? What are the good things that God has done? And what are the promises of the Lord? And can you not believe the promises of God? And I'm here to tell you, like Paul said, it will work out for you if you will trust Him. And we need to trust Him by faith believing He will take care of it all. He is our Savior. He is our provider. I want you to bow your heads uh, where you are with us today in the auditorium. And even if you're at home or watching my live stream, I want you to know that if you're carrying a great burden, you wonder why. Give the whys to Jesus. Give the whys to Jesus. Give up on that question why. It'll sap your strength. It'll destroy you. What? What? What is God doing? What does God promise? What is the Lord saying to your heart today? What is it that you've got that you can rejoice in now? What is it that you've got that God's blessed you with and you can concentrate on that? 
And what does the Lord want to do with your future? Trust him, believe him, hold fast to him, because the word tells us it will work out for your good if you trust him in the crisis. So right now, as I pray, you pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for people right now who are heavily burdened in the midst of a crisis. Pray, Lord, that they will not look at the question why. God, they will look to you for strength and help. They will believe, God, that you're a miracle-working God, that everything will work out in the end as they trust you and believe you, that you will walk with them, you will talk with them. And I pray right now, Lord, that God, as people are praying, that, Lord, they will receive strength from you, Lord, and, and, and a will to go on, and a sense that you're not finished yet, you're not done yet. And Lord, that they can put the fut their future in your hands and believe you, Lord, because you are the God who cares and understands. And it will work out for us because we have Jesus in our corner. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can you thank Jesus today? Just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because the Lord is faithful, and he will be with you in the midst of your crisis. Rely on him. He will direct your paths. God bless you today. It's been an honor to share the word of God with you.